0: Okay, so in uh, chapter 10, we're looking at sexuality from a developmental perspective. So going across the uh, human lifespan and looking at issues related to sex and sexuality. Where we left off last time was, uh, or in the previous segment, was adolescence. And so we're at the point now of emerging adulthood. So I'm picking up on slide number 12 for emerging adulthood. Now... Emerging adulthood has only fairly recently been described and defined. Uh, it was by it was done by a identified by a psychologist named David Arnett, you know, within the last, I don't know, 10 years or something like that. Um, <clears throat> but essentially, Arnett says that um that a lot of the, the traditional markers of adulthood are we were, we're um we're approaching those or achieving those later on um in our culture. Um and those would be things like Being in a career position, you know, being a career job, being married, buying a house, having kids, being financially independent, uh, independent of parents, um, and a lot of the stuff like that that we would would associate with adulthood, people are delaying those things, and so, um, but at the same time, they're not necessarily adolescence in this period. And so he says that in this period of time, roughly between the ages of 18 to 25, uh, he's calling that emerging adulthood. There are a lot of different kinds of cultural and even economic reasons why this is happening. You know, um, uh, people are spending more time in school. Uh, It takes longer to get um, a degree, in a sense, that you need in order to get into a career position. Um, people are getting married later and having kids later some of that's related to reliable birth control um, you know a lot of other kinds of things like that all right so we've got this um stage now of emerging adulthood where people are not adolescents but they're not quite into full adulthood um, People do still want to get married uh, you may have heard that rates of marriage are going down but that seems to be mostly because people are, delaying the age of marriage and so what that means is that and this has happened fairly quickly uh, over the course of one generation or so that um, that the median the 50% Uh, point in age of first marriage is um is now somewhere it's actually higher than what's in my slides here i think uh it's actually like 20 28 for women and almost 29 for men or something like that Uh, almost 30 for men um so people are getting married for the first time later on average and and often having children later um uh, by emerging adulthood, you know people are no longer adolescents. peer pressure becomes less of an influence. Uh, again, our self-esteem uh, becomes divorced from our body image. Um, and that continues as we get older. Um, you know, we don't worry so much about body image as a as an index of self esteem. Usually, for older folks, um, people in emerging adulthood tend to adopt a pattern of serial monogamy, meaning that they'll engage in monogamous relationships, um, uh, but not necessarily long term monogamous relationships. So, a series of uh, monogamous or more or less monogamous relationships. Um, People are more likely also to engage in hooking up, which is essentially sort of like um, uh, friends with benefits or um, uh, sex without necessarily being in a relationship or something like that. What's happened is um, people used to do a little bit more courtship before having sex. Now um, Now of course that does still happen but some people are more likely to start off with sex and see how that works out and then if that works out then they move into courtship or something like that, right? Uh, and so this is this is probably where hooking up um, uh, comes in and has become more common than it used to be. Of course, this is facilitated by uh, internet dating and certainly apps like um, Tinder, um, which have also uh, caused an uptick in some sexually transmitted infections like syphilis in particular. but. Um, let's see, if we move to, uh, early adulthood, um, people tend to settle into long-term monogamy, uh, in early adulthood and throughout a lot of adulthood. Now, again, this might not be long-term for the rest of your life, um, but it tends to be years-long monogamous relationships, and people tend to, um, value, um, uh, Loyalty in relationships, and uh, and don't think very highly of cheating or or open relationships or things like that. People want um, people tend to want uh, security in relationships like that, right? Sixty five percent now of marriages begin with cohabitation. This is a this is a fairly significant change over the last few years, where. Um, a lot more people are living together before getting married there there used to be a lot of social taboos against that and it used to be kind of a source of um, scandal uh, if people got lived together before getting married and there's almost no none of that anymore people don't hardly bat an eye about it right Um, and so people are doing it a lot more and um and up until fairly recently living together before you got married uh was a predictor of divorce that if you lived together before you got married you're more likely to get divorced uh, and it was thought that that had to do with um you know the um the values uh, or maybe the types of people who were more likely to live together seeing that it was scandalous um <clears throat> versus people who waited to um live together until they were married um but um, but that predictor is no longer even true uh that um, living together before you get married doesn't anymore predict divorce. Uh, and that's probably just because it's becoming much more mainstream. Um, uh, let's see. Many people in single parent relationships. Um, marriage has benefits uh, for people. Married people tend to be happier overall, healthier. Um, uh, that's especially true for married men. Married men tend to live longer than single men um, uh, that health benefit of marriage doesn't extend to women. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, uh, it is true for men that married men tend to be, tend to be more healthy and live longer. Um, and notice that, um, that, uh, these are essentially correlational relationships, right? Correlational data. Nobody is setting up experiments where they're forcing people who don't want to, to get married or not, and seeing whether it makes them happier or not, right? And so, what may be going on here is that it may be that happier people may be more likely to get married, right? Or healthier people are more likely to get married, or more optimistic people are more likely to get married, or something like that. But there is that um, uh, that correlation um, uh, that married people do tend to be happier. Uh, let's see, I have a slide on extramarital sex. I don't know why. I guess because I was talking about marriage. Um, um as I mentioned in the last slide, I'm on 14 now, but as I mentioned in the last slide, most people um think that extramarital sex is wrong um, and uh, and don't have a high tolerance for it. Um, but a lot of people engage in it. Uh it seems to be more common uh in men than in women, you know. Uh, a third of men, whereas a fourth of women have had at least one extramarital affair. Um, uh, Perhaps the most important thing that I tell you in this whole chapter is this next thing about um, who cheats, who's likely to cheat. Um, So remember this, if you will. People will sometimes try to figure out if a person is the type who would cheat on you. Are they the type? Well, guess what? There doesn't seem to be a type of person who would cheat. Uh, it seems to be more related to two characteristics, opportunity and alienation. So what this means is that anybody is liable to cheat with opportunity and alienation. So what um, why I think this is important is that, um, you know, if you're doing counseling with people or if you're looking at your own relationships or whatever, opportunity and alienation are risk factors for cheating. Somebody's liable to cheat. What does this mean? Alienation. If people in a long-term relationship feel alienated, that is, they feel um, they feel alone, even though they're in a relationship, or they feel separated from their uh, partner emotionally. They're not. Um, they're not feeling the support. They're not feeling the closeness. Now, alienation. Is going to happen in long term relationships. You know, um, uh, feelings of closeness and affection are going to wax and wane and vary. What we need to know is that, um, what we need to remember is that when people are at stages where they're feeling more alienated, that's when they're at risk for uh, extramarital sex. The other thing that goes into that is opportunity. It does seem that most people who are in long-term relationships aren't going out and looking for extramarital sex. Um, But if an opportunity presents itself, then they might take it, right? So they're more likely to cheat opportunistically, if they're also feeling alienated from their partner at the time. So so we also got to look at in long-term relationships about how these opportunities present, Um, You know, whether it's, you know, traveling to a conference with some other sex coworker or something like that. Well, that's an opportunity, right? And so we got to be very careful there to make sure that we're not also experiencing alienation at that time, right? Because then we've got a uh, kind of dangerous, perfect storm. Um, and so these are, these are characteristics in relationships to watch for. Uh, watch for alienation and try to um, decrease sense of alienation in oneself, in one par- one's partner, you know, with uh, couples you're working with in therapy, whatever it is, um, and also try to anticipate these kinds of opportunities um, uh, so that they don't surprise you in a sense and so that you're aware of the fact that, yes, this is a risky situation. Um, people often think, oh, I would never cheat, uh, and then they find themselves in this opportunity and suddenly they're not even thinking, right? Um, and so being able to anticipate that is uh, some important stuff. Um, <clears throat> So, um, like I said, I think that might be the most important part, the most important facts that I tell you in this chapter. Opportunity and alienation are the predictors of cheating, and they're also things that we can control to somewhat in our relationships. There's not a type of cheater, for the most part. Okay, um, there we go. I wonder if anybody's going to listen to this recording. Okay, if we move to uh, adulthood, or uh, sorry, from uh, early adulthood to middle adulthood, middle age, um, people do show a gradual drop off in frequency of sex. Uh, We've talked about some of this stuff before with regard to, you know, does frequency really matter? I don't know. People always want to compare themselves to other people. But um, but in general, um, uh, people do show, uh, people do experience sex less frequently. uh, As they get a bit older, but that's going to vary quite a bit uh, according to couples. Um, And uh, the sexual relationship, um, sexual motivation, quality of sex is often going to be highly associated with the overall relationship quality. In middle adulthood, it's going to be when menopause occurs. uh, If we move to slide 16, we've talked about menopause some in the past, um, uh, sort of like we saw with pubescence and puberty. There's you know, some kind of uh, parallel sort of terms here where the term for the long process leading up to menopause is actually perimenopause, uh, that time of transition, uh, whereas menopause actually is defined as the time of last menstruation, right? Um, when a woman has her last menstrual period. Uh, 50% of women experience menopause between the ages of 50 and 52, so that's the median age. Um, ovulation is going to cease. The ovaries are going to generally become less active and they're going to tend to atrophy. They're still going to produce some estrogen and the um, uh, adrenal glands are still going to produce some estrogen and also some uh, testosterone. Uh, let's see. Um, um, if we move on in menopause chapters, I mean the slide 17, um, uh, hot flashes seem to be related to um, the fact that um, there's nothing there to suppress follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, and so people feel, um, you know, rushes of uh, uh, rushes of heat. Um, there's a physiological cause for that. Um, interestingly enough. Um, Uh, an individual woman's experience of menopause and the symptoms of menopause are liable to be linked to the society that she's in, essentially, and the societal views. Such that in cultures and societies where it's good to be an old woman, where old womanhood is valued, um, menopausal symptoms are often reported as being fairly mild and tolerable. Uh, Otherwise, in societies and cultures where it's a really bad thing to be an old woman, old old women are seen with scorn or uh, something like that or suspicion, Um, people are liable to experience a lot more physical symptoms uh, related to uh, menopause. And I think that's fascinating because notice these symptoms of menopause are not psychological imagined symptoms or anything like that right they're physical symptoms but they're going to be experienced differently related to um uh culture um uh, up until a few years ago um hormone replacement therapy was uh was standard practice for women during menopause during and after menopause um uh, that's no longer standard practice because um uh it it um does put people at risk for breast cancer and heart disease. Uh, and so it still is an option for women who want to um, get uh, some hormone replacement, essentially, to um, uh, support some of that uh, uh, hormone levels as it would have been before menopause. Um, but it's um, but it's very much an individual uh, decision with a woman and her doctor now. Um, people sometimes talk about male menopause. Um, on slide 18, people have called this andropause. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what they're talking about here is that there is a decline in testosterone levels as men get older. Um, uh, men don't have the um, atrophy of the testi- testes that women have of the ovaries. And men are still going to be producing sperm cells and still going to be producing testosterone. Just less of it, right? And so it's much more of a gradual change uh, than female <laughs> true menopause um but people will kind of talk about um this as being a change for men um <clears throat> uh i think we looked at this when we looked at um hormone regulation in men but that um, that to some extent people have also tried to medicalize this whether or not this is something that we should be treating men for and giving people supplemental testosterone uh, you know and i guess there are medicines for low t uh, and <laughs> um, you know, that's controversial about whether or not that's something we should be doing or whether we should see, uh, this decline in testosterone as a natural consequence of aging. Like we may see female menopause, right? Um, uh, let's see. Um, that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, late adulthood, um, by late adulthood, Slide number 19. Um, people are liable to be sexually active in late adulthood if they have partners. Um, that's one of the most limiting things uh, in that um, it's much more common, of course, for somebody in late adulthood to be widowed, uh, to be a widower or a widow, and, um, and so their, their um, long-term sex partner may not be around anymore. Uh, this is more likely to be true for women than for men because m- women live longer. So, um, so if you've ever been in elderly communities, retirement homes, that kind of stuff, you often find that, um, that women outnumber men quite a bit, uh uh, in those kind of situations, men tend to die off sooner anyway. And so, um, so often the limiting factor is, um, is having a, a partner. Otherwise many people would be interested, uh, in, uh, in sex. Um, you know, there can be some, uh, some kinds of, um, health concerns that might, you know, per- preclude sex or make people less interested in sex you know but people are often not like sitting around depressed when they're in late adulthood they're often uh fairly happy but um um you know so it may be more of a lack of uh uh, partners um, we talked earlier in the semester about um uh, about kind of a uh, a renaissance of sexual interest in uh, late adulthood in some people for um, you know in retirement communities and that um that that has also led to an increase in sexually transmitted infections uh in older folks because a lot of times they're not using any kinds of protection because they're not concerned about pregnancy, uh, but they could be spreading sexually transmitted diseases, right? Um, Okay, well, that about wraps it up for late adulthood. Going through sexuality from a developmental perspective, from birth to late adulthood. That is all. Here come some bongo drums, if I can find them.